Uh, we do have a, uh, an insert in the bulletin, uh, our praying for the world insert. Um, then I encourage you to take that home and to, um, to use that for your prayers this week. Uh, but this morning, uh, given uh, what happened on Wednesday and uh, what is going on currently in our country, decided to devote our congregational prayer time this morning uh, explicitly to our country. Um, I have uh, wrestled back and forth with uh, what to say and how to address and how much to say and what not to say, uh, but I, I feel beneficial. I feel it, I think it would be beneficial as a as a pastor to you uh, to at least address um, and kind of give you my thoughts on how I'm processing these things uh, and what I think that means for us as a result. Uh, Wednesday's riot uh, was not an act of liberty. Uh, It was not an act of justice. It was an act of anarchy. Uh, And it reveals several things about us as a country. It reveals that as a nation we are in a bad place. Uh, That the divide maybe goes deeper than we even realize it reveals uh, that we have that we are a people with no moral anchor. That the right uh, can claim no moral superiority over the left. That both sides, or at least the extreme ends of both sides, are willing to use angry words and hatred and acts of violence to gain power. Uh, that in the absence of any moral foundation in the in the absence of any principle uh, we are a people who crave power and personality alone Uh, and that is our our constitution is the longest standing document of its kind but it cannot withstand a people who crave power and personalities over principle it cannot withstand a people who have no moral compass. Uh, And sadly, I believe that is where we are. Um, What should we do about that? How should that form form the way that we think and pray? Uh, The first thing I think we need to do, and I I include myself in this, is that we need to repent. Uh, Psalm 118 8 and 9 says, It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. We have put our trust in politics and personalities because we treasure power more than principle. And we, I'm talking to Christians, the people of King Jesus, we need to remember that the president cannot save us. The Senate cannot save us. The House cannot save us. The Supreme Court cannot save us. These are important institutions. Uh, We should work for them. We should be politically engaged, but they are not ultimate. And I believe that many of us have forsaken um, our true king in the name of some other substitute savior. And so we need to repent. Uh, As Zach mentioned in his prayer, uh, we also need to repent of the words uh, that we use, either spoken or typed? Have we sought to heal up wounds and bind up the brokenhearted to make peace? 
Or have we cherished our opinions more than the truth of God? And then after we repent, we also need to pray. And the the prayers that come to mind are the first prayers of the Lord's Prayer. That God would hallow his name. That God's name would be revered as great. That God would bring his kingdom. That his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. God and country are two different things. The United States of America is not the kingdom of God. And while we can work for the benefit of our country, and we should, Jesus tells us to seek first the kingdom of God in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. To seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We seek first the kingdom. We are to seek the good of our country and our city, but it is not our first love. That belongs to God. May we pray in accordance with that. And then, after we have prayed, or even as we're praying, we should live faithfully. Titus 2, 11 and 13, 11 through 13, Paul writes this to his apprentice, Titus. He says, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our great hope is not now, but is in the future. Our great hope is the return of the Lord Jesus. It is that, that future, which ought to work its way back into our present. So that we can live self-controlled upright, and godly lives. The world does not need more opinionated people. It needs people who know the truth, who love the truth, who speak the truth, and who live the truth. That is what the grace of God trains us to do. And that's not, if you feel ill-equipped to do that, know that You are not alone. That is why the church exists. We are the people of the truth. And we speak good news to the world that desperately needs to hear it. May we proclaim it and live it with one voice. Let's pray together. God in heaven, we are deeply concerned about where we live, about our country. We are, we we have seen things this week that we might be accustomed to seeing in other countries, but maybe never thought to see on our own soil. Lord, would you heal us? Would you bring peace God, would you reveal to us our false saviors? May we turn again with humble hearts to you who alone is good. Lord God, would you hallow your name? Would you bring spiritual renewal and revival to our country? Lord, would your kingdom come? Would your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? God, we pray 
that we would seek first your kingdom and that we would not be afraid. We ought to be concerned, but Lord, I pray that we would not be afraid. You are the God who appoints our times and seasons. You have placed us in this moment for your good and perfect purpose. Would you, by your grace, help us to live faithfully in it? Even as we are concerned, may we remain calm. Not wringing our hands or running around like Chicken Little. But holding fast to you, our rock and our redeemer. This has been a year of many challenges. And we have no idea what the year to come will bring. And we don't have to. Because you alone are God. And you alone are good. So would you help us to live upright, self-controlled, and godly lives in this present age, this present age in which you have placed us. Holy Spirit, fill us. Order our steps. May we use our tongues in a way that glorifies you. May we use our hands in a way that glorifies you. May our hearts and minds belong to you. May we ask the question every day, Lord, how can I glorify and enjoy you today? We pray all of this in the matchless name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. If you would, turn with me to Acts chapter 15. Thought you were just going to get one sermon today. Got one sermon and a mini sermon. Acts chapter 15. We are returning to our series in this book, this story of early Christianity. And just to kind of give you, uh, if you haven't been with us, to give you a glimpse of what we've seen, Jesus ascends to heaven after he rises from the dead. And then he pours out his Holy Spirit on his followers. 120 people gathered uh, in, in a room in Jerusalem. He pours his Holy Spirit out on them to enable them to proclaim the good news of Jesus, not just in Jerusalem, but to the end of the earth. And we follow that march as it begins in Jerusalem and the, the message of Jesus radiates out. And what was 120 people becomes thousands gathered around the Mediterranean Sea, praising Jesus. And in our last sermon in this series, in Acts 15, we see that gospel message come under threat. That there are some false teachers, uh, some Jewish sympathizers. You see, the the church is made up now of of Jewish people and non-Jewish people, Jews and Gentiles. And there are some Jewish sympathizers who say, well, if you really want to be accepted by God, yes, you need to believe in Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised. You also need to follow the Jewish law. That's how you really become a part of God's people. And so 
Paul and Barnabas, two leaders whom we've met who, were, who had gone on a missionary journey, taking the good news to the Gentiles, they and other church leaders meet in Jerusalem to hash out this issue. Is it Jesus plus the law that equals salvation, or is it Christ alone? And the Jerusalem council determines, after hearing from Peter and Paul and Barnabas and James, they go with a gospel of grace. They say it is a person is accepted by God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, plus nothing else. And so the message of the gospel is preserved. And Paul and Barnabas head back to their home church, their sending church in Antioch to the north. Uh, and it's there that we will pick up the story. Uh, and I uh, am amazed at God's providence, uh, his good and perfect plan that um, last week we didn't start Acts. And I didn't know why God was nudging me to preach the sermon that I did on Ephesians 2 and just resume Acts this week. But God knew that this would be a week of turmoil and conflict in our country. Uh, and here in Acts 15, verse 36, we see that there is also conflict uh, in the church. And we're going to talk about that. So let's, uh, let's give our attention to God's word. Acts 15, starting in verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his help. God in heaven, would you illuminate your word for us, and would you transform us from the inside out? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you, if you're old enough, may remember in the early 90s uh, when basketball star Charles Barkley made a rather infamous statement uh, in an infamous commercial when he said, I'm not a role model. And Barkley was a pretty controversial player. A uh, pretty controversial person. And his point in the commercial was, the point was to sell Nike shoes. But um, what he goes on to say in the commercial is, just because I can dunk a basketball doesn't mean that I should be a role model for your children. That should be the parent's job, the teacher's job. And, and we would agree so far as it goes. Um, but still, uh, Barkley stirred up a, a bit of controversy. Uh, and basketball star, star Carl Malone uh, with the Utah Jazz, he wrote in a piece uh, in um, Sports Illustrated. He said, we don't choose to be role models. We are chosen. Our only choice is whether to be a good role model or a bad one. And we would also agree with Malone. Uh, we want to follow good leaders. We want to pattern our lives after good examples. So what do you do when two good leaders disagree and disagree so strongly that they go their separate ways. 
That's what we see here. Uh, what I want to do this morning is I just want to, first I want to look at this sharp disagreement. That's the word Luke uses, this sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. And then I want to tease out a few things that I think are important for us uh, from this passage. So uh, first, the sharp disagreement. What are the, the circumstances? What happens here? We're back in Antioch. This is Paul and Barnabas' sending church. It was this church that sent them up into modern-day Turkey on their first journey. And Paul thinks it's good, a good idea that they go and visit the churches they had established. And just as a side note, this was Paul's regular practice. These believers in these churches that they had planted, he considered them his spiritual children. And it had been over a year since he had seen them, probably. And you know that a lot can happen in a year's time. And so uh, Paul uh, wants to go and check back in and see how they're doing and see if they're growing. And Barnabas uh, wants to go as well, uh, but he wants to take along John Mark. Uh, John Mark had started with them on the first journey, but after uh, they had sailed from the island of Crete and landed to the north and in what we know as modern-day Turkey, uh, for some reason... Mark left. He went back home to Jerusalem. And we see that in Acts 13, 13. And Luke doesn't tell us why. We don't know why Mark left. Um, now, Mark was Barnabas' cousin. So he's family. Uh, and I want you to remember that Barnabas' name means son of encouragement. And that's exactly how we've seen Barnabas act in the book of Acts. Uh, that his, he, is a, he is an encourager. Uh, he likes to, um, in fact, Barnabas is the one who, when he came to Antioch, saw that God was at work, and then he traveled to Tarsus to get Paul and bring him to Antioch, right? Paul, who, uh, who had been a Pharisee and had been excluded, uh, was feared by believers because of his life in Judaism before Jesus, it was Barnabas who vouched for Paul, because Barnabas is a son of encouragement. And so here... Barnabas wants to give Mark a second chance. And that makes sense, knowing who Barnabas was. But Paul doesn't think that's a good idea. Mark had gone with them once. He had already left the field once. Uh, the language Paul uses here is language of desertion. Mark had left the field in the middle of the battle. And it would appear that Paul is not willing to risk that again. And so he says, no. And we're told that these two men, these two great leaders in the early church, had a sharp disagreement. Uh, things got heated. Uh, the word indicates anger. In fact, their disagreement is so sharp that they actually go their separate ways. Now, I want you to feel the sting of that. These men had partnered and worked together for hours to tell people about Jesus. They had worked side by side. They had walked and sailed and ridden hundreds of miles together. They had shared meals together. They'd faced angry mobs together. They'd fought together against false teachers and, and won. Paul and Barnabas had been through thick and thin together. 
And now they agree that they need to go forward, but they cannot agree on how. And so they part ways. And that should make us sad. It should make us sad that two brothers part company in anger with each other. What else? So there's the conflict. What what can we learn from this conflict? Why might this instruct us? The first thing is this. Only Jesus is perfect. When it comes to the leader that we want to follow, only Jesus is perfect. Listen to these words uh, from Jesus. Matthew 23, he says, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe what they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. They love The place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi or teacher by others. But you are not to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers and sisters. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. I had a Hebrew professor in seminary. Uh, His name was Miles Van Pelt. And he told us on the first day of class that we were to call him Miles. That we were not to call him Dr. Van Pelt. And he referenced this passage. We... He was the same as us. Yes, his learning and credentials were different, but he was not going to assume a title greater than us. Jesus alone is perfect. So he only is the true example we look to. And so when we follow people, we should seek to follow leaders who are following Christ. That's what Paul himself says. In 1 Corinthians, follow me as I follow Christ. And we hope that means that those leaders are wise and humble and strive to live consistent, godly lives. But it also means that they won't. It means that they'll sin. That they'll fall short of the glory of God. And we need to remember that. That we follow no king but Jesus. Jesus is the one we follow, and we remember that even the best leaders are flawed. They make mistakes, and they need grace. Now, if you would lead others, if you want to be a leader, what does that mean for you? Well, first it means pursue Jesus. Pursue humility. Always point people to him and not to yourself. That's what a Christian leader does. That's what Jesus says, exalt, uh, do not exalt yourself, humble yourself, exalt him. Only Jesus is perfect. Only Jesus is always right. That's our second 
point. Only Jesus is always right. Good people disagree. And it's interesting that Luke doesn't tell us who was right and who was wrong. Is Barnabas right? I mean, here he was wanting to encourage his cousin, encourage John. Was he, was he, was he being too soft on Mark? To take him along, to want to give him a second chance? No, no. Not Paul. Was Paul being too harsh? We know him to be a pretty passionate guy. but use strong language when necessary. Was he overboard here? Don't know. And quite frankly, it doesn't matter. Because if it mattered, it would be included in God's inspired word, and it's not. Luke doesn't tell us who was right and who was wrong. Because only Jesus is always right. And so we need to stand up for what is right, but we also need to acknowledge when we're wrong. We need to humbly check ourselves before God's word. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7 that if we want to help a brother or a sister remove a speck of dust from their eyes, first we have to remove the log that's in our own. And so we humbly check ourselves before God's word. Good people with good motives will disagree. And so we should aim to disagree over what matters. Right? This, this fight is not about the, the color of the carpet or the color of the paint. If we're going to separate, if we're going to part ways, we need to make sure that we're parting ways over what matters. Now, I don't know. It's not clear in the text whether what, what mattered here. Right? We know that Paul and Barnabas agree that, that the, both of these men are committed to the gospel. We've seen it in their lives. They have a desire to, to, to preach Christ and Him crucified. And they disagree on, they are unified in the what, but they disagree on the how. Maybe that was important and maybe it wasn't. But if you find yourself in conflict with someone else, I want you to ask yourself three questions. First, what is the real issue here? Right, what, what's, what's, really, what's really going on? What am I really standing on? And am I right? As far as I can tell, is there a log blinding my sight? You need to ask other people to come alongside you and, and, and vet your opinion. Submit yourself to the brothers and sisters. And then third, after you've figured out what the real issue is and you've humbly checked to see if you can, whether you're right or not, and third, does it matter for eternity? Will it matter forever? Will it matter in eternity, on judgment day, what your opinions were on mask? Will it matter for eternity? That's the last question we should ask. Only Jesus is always right. And so we should disagree humbly. And then finally, we see that God even uses conflict. We might be prone to think that conflict or disagreement is a sign that God is not at work. 
right? That where there is bickering or fighting, man, that, there, there's no spirit there. Uh, the, the, that church is in trouble. There's no growth there. And that may certainly be the case. Those things may be an indication of that. But conflict, disagreement, is not proof that God is not at work. In fact, what we see is that God even uses this disagreement. He uses conflict for his own purposes. But we need to realize that may not be apparent right away. We may not see what God is up to. We, and in the, in the heat of a disagreement, that's tough. When, when you're disagreeing with someone and, 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 and they're going their separate way, that's tough. And it may, not, it may not be apparent what God is up to. And I should also say we shouldn't use this passage or this truth to validate our own history of conflict. Right? If, you're, if your history, if you look back through your history and you see lots of casualties in relationships, you see lots of unresolved conflict, this is not validating you, right? You, you need to go back to those first two points. Only Jesus is perfect, and only Jesus is always right. So if, there's a, if, there, are a wake of dead, or if there are dead bodies in your wake, you, you need to do some serious soul-searching, right? Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Paul himself calls his ministry in 2 Corinthians 5 a ministry of reconciliation. And he says in Romans 12, 8, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. We are a people who ought to seek peace and reconciliation. Right? Um, Paul tells Timothy that an, er- that an elder should not be quarrelsome. An elder should not be somebody who's always looking for a fight. That is not uh, what God looks for. But we do see God at work in this conflict. Because now, instead of one mission effort, you have two. Instead of one team being sent out, you have two. Paul and Mark, excuse me, Barnabas and Mark, they go to Crete. And Paul grabs Silas and they... uh, They go overland to the churches that had already been planted, and they will go further, and we'll see their journey, and they'll meet Timothy. We'll see him, and uh, the the mission will continue. And so God's efforts are not thwarted by our conflict. They are not thwarted by our disagreements. Rather, God uses them for his own good purposes. But what about this story? How does... How else does God use this conflict? How does he use it in the life of Paul and in the life of Mark? I want to fast forward about 20 years. Paul is in prison again. But this will be the last time. When Paul leaves this prison cell, he is going to be executed. By the Roman Emperor Nero. And he knows his days are numbered. Uh, And so he writes to his friend and apprentice Timothy. And at the end of that letter, 2 Timothy, in chapter 4, he gives some personal instructions. And he says this 2 Timothy 4 9. 
do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. And then look what he says. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Twenty years later, the deserter has become useful to Paul for ministry. And when he is all alone and has been left and deserted by others, who is it that Paul asks for? He says, bring Mark. Bring Mark. Mark is mentioned again by Peter in 1 Peter 5 where he is called Peter's son. And it was Mark, probably writing for Peter, who would go on to write one of the accounts of Jesus' life. One of the four Gospels, the Gospel of Mark. This failure, this deserter. So how does God use conflict? I don't know all the details and all the ins and outs of Mark's life. But I do know that he showed back up at the end of Paul's life. No longer as a deserter and a failure, but as somebody who was useful to the kingdom. And so maybe you feel like a failure. Maybe you feel like a deserter, like you've gone too far. You've retreated from the battle when you should have attacked. Friend, the gospel takes failures and makes them into successes. May God choose to work in our lives in this way. Even in the midst of conflict, may we see God at work in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for this passage. We thank you for the reminder that even the best leaders we can find, are still, still cannot hold a candle to you. So Lord, I pray that this would draw us closer and closer to you, trusting in you, resting in you, not trusting ourselves to other men except when they follow Jesus. And help us to lead as well. Help us to point people to you humbly. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.